Thank you. Well, as we begin, I think it's important just to share with you one, one detail uh, about my role. So, not only do I serve as a pastor of Elwood uh, Baptist Church, but I also have the privilege of being um, two other roles where I work as a regional uh, coordinator for church planting. That's for the Southwest region, and that's going to be part of the story I share, and also working with the uh, state, um, the Baptist Union state overseeing coaching. So, when people do get approved as church planters, um, it's my, my role to journey with them for the first two years. And that will be part of the story I'll be sharing so that it gives some context. Ambassadors. You see, what does it mean? We're going to be sharing about what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ. And what does it mean to be an ambassador? Generally speaking, ambassadors are people who are respected and they're representatives of a nation. These are individuals who are held in, in high esteem and, and sort of their whole life uh, captures or holds the, the, the belief and, and such a love for their nation that their country is willing to send them over to another nation where they can actually live out this, uh, this love for their country. I think about uh, where the, uh, the church I was leading in Kenya was just a few uh, minutes drive from the Australian embassy. And, and so every time I'll be driving, I'll see, you know, the, the, the Australian ambassador, whether he's, he's driving there in, you know, beautiful car, red number plates. Um, and Kenya happens to be a hub for a lot of uh, embassies uh, because it's one of the only sort of safe and, and steady regions. So a lot of countries whole have their embassies in, in Nairobi. So we see ambassadors everywhere. And every time you see ambassadors, there's a sense of prestige and honor that comes with it. I went to our embassy here in Canberra uh, when I needed to get some, some passport issues sorted out. And once you step into that little uh, space, it's actually sovereign ground for, for that nation. It's, it's Kenya. You're in Kenya. So as we sat with the ambassador and we were, he was, he was chatting away, he was like, he had Kenyan tea, he had Kenyan everything. It felt like being back home. But that's what ambassadors do. They, they hold such love for their nation that everywhere they are, they represent that nation from how they dress to how they talk about their nation. And this is what Paul is writing to us to become. He, call, he likens our calling to that of being ambassadors for Christ. The gospel or the message of reconciliation is at the heart of our role and responsibility. Now, this message of reconciliation that I'll be building around is not only made possible because of Christ's death on the cross. And we have been reconciled back to God. God rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of his son. And so when we talk about being ambassadors for Christ, we are being ambassadors for his kingdom. Jesus Christ introduces the kingdom uh, in Matthew. It wasn't a foreign concept to the people, but he brings out something new in it. In Christ, we learn that the kingdom of God, which is a sovereign rule and reign of God, has always been. God has always been sovereign over all that he's created from before time, present, and always will be. So the, the concept of being ambassadors is not something just new in the New Testament. And God, as his sovereign rule has been exercised over all creation, has asked men and women to go forth in different places and stand in the gap. For other nations, we have people like Abraham being sent out from his own place 
People like Moses standing before Pharaoh, the likes of, 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 of uh, Joshua, David, all these individuals, the idea of a God who loves his people and wants to be reconciled to them is not, it's not just a new thing. It always, has always been because God has always been and always will be. The kingdom has always been. But Christ comes in Matthew and now teaches us the values and the, the principles of this kingdom. What are we ambassadors of? And this he talks, introduces to us uh, matters of, of, of justice, of, of mercy, of love, and all these concepts. And what is different now is that Christ tells us these are not beautiful ideas out there, but to be lived here and now. When he talks about showing mercy, love, mourning with those that are mourned, these are values of the kingdom that Christ wants us to live out here and now. But we live in a broken world. Broken by sin. And so we know the true expression and true experience of God's kingdom will be fully realized when Christ returns. And scripture tells us our Lord will return and will, will restore things back to the world. There will be no more pain, no more suffering and all these things. But between now and when Christ returns, we have been asked to be ambassadors of Christ. So we go through the world and we represent this kingdom. And John 18.36 tells us it's our responsibility to reflect the official position of heaven. Empowered by the Spirit of God. We see this in Acts chapter 1. So we're going to go through the portion of Scripture read. And we're going to pull out truth, build around this, building around this truth. What does it mean to be ambassadors for Christ? And why does it matter for us to know that here at Penal Baps? Paul begins and says this. Verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, I'm reading uh, from the NLT, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. We are, com we, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us. No, are we, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having spectacular ministries rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. If it seems we are right, in our right mind, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us or Christ's love compels us. Now, the first thing we see is that Paul is telling us that we only represent that which we truly believe in. Think about a time where you found a good coffee shop. Have you met, because one of the things, are, Kenya exports coffee, I'm one of the few Kenyans, or one of the many Kenyans who does not drink coffee. We export it. We just don't drink it. And so have you ever found a good coffee shop or a good restaurant, and, or have you met someone who's just seen, whose life has been transformed by a latte in a, in a cafe somewhere, and they tell everyone about it? Have you met them? You've got to try this. You've got to try this. You see, we, when, we are, when our hearts are captured by something, it, it compels us. And we want to tell everyone about it. We want everyone to experience the joy of this life-transforming latte or, or, or flat white, whatever it may be. You see, even major companies have realized the power of having an effective ambassador. They've realized the power. They invest heavily in preparing them for this role. They make them the voice of their brand. So when you see this individual, you see the brand. They've realized the power. 
I was reading the news how um, one famous individual was spotted in New York buying a certain handbag. I really didn't care much about it, but what captured me about the story was the impact this had. So, this, this lady gets into a, a shop in, in New York and buys a certain handbag. She's famous and people take photos of it and she's seen. The next day, they were all sold out. So, the company made her their ambassador. One of our Kenyan actors, Lupita Nyong'o, who won an Oscar. Now, during the first, that, time, the day, that, that night she won that Oscar a few years back, she didn't have lip balm. I don't know how many read this story. And so she borrowed lip balm from someone, her friend was, whoever was sitting next to her, and as she used it, they took photos, and at that point, they were announcing the winner. The next day, the lip balm was sold out. Like, how is this even possible? <laughs> and now, she's a brand ambassador. Because companies understand the power of a good ambassador, and they invest in it. Countries understand the power of a good ambassador, and they invest in them. They train them. They equip them. They, 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 they do so much so that when that individual steps into this country or whatever country, everyone knows that this is the ambassador from Australia or from whatever it may be. The first thing we see as ambassadors of Christ, we must have a love for the king and a love for his kingdom. You only represent that which you truly believe in and love. And Paul says this, that Christ's love compels him. It drives him to a point where others might think he's mad. He says, I'm not commending myself to you. No, Christ's love compels me. My love for my God, my love for this kingdom and what it stands for compels me to stand for it. To a point where he's imprisoned, he's beaten up, he's shipwrecked. All these things because of his love for his king. He says, we are convinced. The words he uses are words of passion. I mean, one of the things I love is I'm learning about footy, okay? I'm very new to it. In Kenya, we, the most thing we do is rugby, all right? And run. And you run alone. You are not in a team, all right? So I'm learning about footy. And uh, AFL and rugby union, all those things are different. And I happen to be right in St. George's, right near the Parramatta Eels, and then you have the Georges here, and then you have the Shire, that are, that's a special place. So they're all that. So I'm learning about footing. And one of the things I remember was watching a match, and what I love about sports is this. I love when they pan to the, you know those guys who have the private box up there, all dressed in suits, and everyone else is in gear, but they're all dressed in suits. They all look so dignified and lovely. Have you ever seen them when a try scored? All dignity is lost. And just people, the passion you see in those men and women is, it's, it's energizing. And this is what we talk about. They lay aside all dignity and everything, and their passion for their team drives them, their love for their team. In the same way, Paul is telling us that if we are going to be good ambassadors of Christ, our love for our Lord and our love for his kingdom must be driving us. All other things are fleeting and come to an end, are temporal. Have you ever met a secret ambassador? Or imagine you meet a guy who tells you, uh, hey, uh, I'm, I'm an ambassador for, for, I don't know, I'll use Apple for now. I hope nobody works at Apple. Um, I'm an ambassador for Apple iPhone. And, and you tell him, oh, really, tell me about it. Like, well, I really don't know much about it. But I hear it's a good phone. But I really, I, I urge you to buy it. But it's, I think it's okay. 
battery life sucks, but it's okay. You'll be like, ah, oh, I'm not really sure. Or you go to a restaurant and you ask the waiter, what's your best thing? She said, I would definitely not have that. <laughs> what, what, what comes into your heart when they do that? You're like, ah, why? Because you trust them. You trust that they know what they're talking about because they work in that space. So the first thing Paul tells us this is that love compels us. If we're going to be good ambassadors for Christ, love must compel us. Then he continues on and we read on from verse 16. He says this, verse 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we, we have all died for, from, uh, to our old life. Verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Firstly, we are ambassador for Christ. And what, what is it? It's his love, a love for his kingdom and a love for our king that compels and drives us. But not only that, we are good ambassadors are through the transformed lives we've experienced. Paul says we need to stop looking at people from the outside, uh, human, from our human eyes. You see, people who represent countries and brands and all that, they're ambassadors of things they've actually believed in and have experienced. And that's what makes them good ambassadors. You see, this life-changing message of Christ has changed us. Think about how far we were from God. We were in the kingdom of darkness, lost. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, brings us into the kingdom of light. We have hope in Christ. We now have a hope of, of, of the return of our Lord. We have hope. Christ has taken our brokenness and made us whole again. Could you imagine the power, the joy you felt? And the life that is transformed, people see it and their lives are like, whoa, what's happening? I remember the first time we did an Alpha course at, at, at our church. And it was going to be, it was new to everyone and our congregation was not that big. But I said, I really want to run it and I'll let church members be part of it um, and also invite your friends. And I remember one, one gentleman came to our church, and uh, he, he was insisting on, we need to do the alpha at the pub. I was like, I'm not sure that's going to work for me right now, all right? So why don't you come to church? But he's like, nah. So we met with him here now uh, a bit um, in a neutral ground, and finally he said, I'll come for it. Now this is what happens. The power of God's love and the transformative power of Christ. He's a man who comes who's far from God. He's in his mid-50s, going to 60s, far from God is experiencing and just like seeing scripture for the first time. And, you know, we can be so uh, insulated, so in church, that we actually forget what it was like to be outside God. And this becomes the danger. When we forget what it was like to be outside in the world, lost, without hope, looking for hope and, and grasping to anything we could, whether it was, was alcohol or whatever, we, we forget that. We come into the kingdom of God and like, thank you, Lord, I'm saved, it's safe here, I'll stay here. And so having this gentleman in our group was so good because a lot of my church members 
were, had forgotten what it felt like to be outside God. They'd forgotten their people out there who still, when the coffee doesn't taste good, they don't use the same words you and I use during morning tea. They'd forgotten that. And so here's a man. He goes through Arthur and starts very cynical and then starts asking different questions. And it's, it's, it's not the course that does anything itself. It's just God, his spirit at work. And we see this man's life change over the next, it's amazing, right in front of our eyes over a number of weeks. And one day he talks to my wife and says, amazing thing happened today. Uh, I asked God to help me stop smoking. I'm like, okay. Uh, do you mind praying with me about it? So my wife calls me and I say, oh, Lord. I'm going to pray for a big miracle right now. I'm going to say, Lord, let him not have a desire to smoke right now. So I pray for him. And next time he comes, he says, it was awesome today. I only smoked two, two packets. I'm like, well, that's a start. Um, <laughs> that's a start. But this is amazing. By the time we get to the seventh week, he starts asking real questions. And I can see his life changing. His attitude is changing. His, his demeanor, his his. He had a real negative attitude towards this faith, this God thing. And you see someone's life change right in front of you. And as we come to the end of the, of, of, of the Alpha, I ask him, buddy, what is the greatest desire in your heart right now? What is it? He says, for many years I've had a broken and strained relationship with my daughters who live in Melbourne. And if there's one thing I'd ask God to do is that God would just bring reconciliation. And at that moment, I share with him, you know, it's the same thing about our life with God, that we are so far from him, and, and we do all our best to try and get back and do all these things, but God, is, his arms are open, and he says, I'll think about it. Two weeks later, he gives his life to the Lord. Now, this is a powerful thing. A few months into the church, he comes and says, I've spoken to my daughters, and this, the, the conversation was interesting. He said, every time he would call his daughters, it would be like, it would start really well, like with most children, and end up in an argument. I don't know if your, your family is the same. My, my, it starts really well. Good intention, but ends up in an argument. And because at that time he was not a believer, he had no filter, he would just really tear them down. So this conversation happens, and as he's talking with them, somehow at the end he just says, hey, I really want to say this. I'm really sorry. I've not been a good dad, and I really want you to forgive me. And there's silence on the other side. I'm like, okay. They're like, what has happened to our dad? Okay. It's like when your kids tell you, I'm sorry. You're like, what did you do? What have you actually done? <laughs> What's the other thing? So there's silence. The power of Christ is this, that he then asked for a transfer in his company to be transferred to Melbourne so he could be with his daughters and his grandkids. Who would do that? That is not, that's not a, no man can manufacture that. This is a true Aussie bloke as hard as they come. And to see God at work. Now, what is it? The power of a transformed uh, life. And this is what Paul is right saying. That anyone who's in Christ has become a new, a new person in Christ. And when people look at you, you're an ambassador through your transformed life. The greatest platform you may ever have to share your faith is through your transformed life. When people see how you were before Christ to where you are after Christ... That's one of the greatest ways to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. The challenge the Pharisees faced was that they tried to be ambassadors for God, but their lives had not experienced true internal transformation of the heart. We see this in people like Nicodemus, a wonderful man in John 3. And Christ tells him, how are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? He could not comprehend new life in Jesus Christ. 
As a member of this church, one of the greatest platforms you'll ever have is the transformed life you live. People, you may never get a platform up here, but you'll always have an opportunity to share your faith, live out the values of the kingdom in the way you'll carry out your, your, your life. So when you talk about ambassadors, all right, when Paul talks about this, he says this. This is so hard. He says this. And all this is a gift, verse 18. We're going to continue going on. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Oh, wow. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is in making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we may be made right with God through Christ. Think about it. God, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing. Paul uses the word as God himself was making an appeal through us. What a privilege that is. And also how scary that is. And so when we think about ambassadors and hear these words, we can say, whoa, Ken, that is awesome. That's not for me. It's for the deacons or the elders of this church and the pastor. That's great. But I want to end by telling us, what does this actually mean? I, said, I began by saying, I'm going to share with us about what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ. And we say two things. One, a love for the king and a love for his kingdom. You invest in what you believe in. Transform lives. Your greatest platform you'll ever have is your life lived out for the glory of God. And so we say this can be actually intimidating and scary at the same time. So what does it actually mean? One of the best examples I'd love to leave us as an application is found in John chapter 4. If you could flip to John chapter 4. We talk about the least of these. This is the best example. Now I won't read through the whole passage. I'll just be grabbing big, big chunks from it. But this is the account of Christ and the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. I call them well conversations. So Jesus Christ is on the journey, stops on his way, to, he goes through Samaria, he comes to the uh, village of Sychar, near there there's a, there's a field um, where there's a well, and Christ stops there. And verse 7 picks up the conversation, uh, page 863 of your with NLT. Verse 7. He picks up, we pick up the story there. As soon as a Samaritan came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she, say, and, and she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And the story conversation continues. They have a conversation back and forth. And finally, we get to um, verse 16. I'm going to ju jump to a big chunk. So, go get your husband, Jesus told her. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband, verse 18, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place to worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gezerim. 
where our ancestors worshipped. Let's stop there for a minute. Now, I'm going to give you an example of an ambassador for Christ who is the least of this. If this lady can be an ambassador for Christ, I don't know what excuse you and I would have. The first thing we see is that she was a Samaritan woman. Now, this may sound very uh, just basic, but it has significant implications. You see, the common view uh, for the origin of the Samaritans is that they were mixed race between, that it was a, a, role, a result of an intermarriage between the people of the northern kingdom, two tribes of, of Israel that remained, and the Assyrians all right, who settled in. And the, when, when the nation of Israel would be sort of undergo times of, of, of war and, ca- and capturing, the two ways that they remained, they sort of protected themselves because they went through quite a number of cycles uh, of, of capture and release sort of uh, thing. The two things that kept them safe, one was their commitment to the worship of only one God, that no matter where you took a group of, 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 of the Jews, they would stick to this one thing, we believe there's only one God. And that's one thing you could never take away from them. It's seen in when you talk, when you see uh, the young boys before the king, they will not worship any other god. Daniel, just their belief in God was one of the things that protected them. The second thing is that they refused to intermarry. No matter where you take them, they would always never, never intermarry. And so over hundreds of years, at one point the Assyrians come in and two of the tribes are left there, or part of the tribe is left there. They intermarry the Assyrians and that group, then the Babylonians come later on and that intermarriage continues and the Samaritan tribe is, is born. And so the Jews hated the, the, the Samaritans. They saw them as a betrayal to what God had called them to be. And so the first thing we see is that here is a woman, not only she is a woman, but she is a Samaritan. Now, unfortunately, the Jewish attitude towards women was less than ideal. While the Old Testament afforded great dignity to womanhood, we see in Proverbs 31, we see leaders uh, in, in, the, in the nation of Israel who were women, great dignity as God created man and, and, and woman equal. We see that as the nation of Israel um, continued to grow and put in new laws, men, because of a broken world, drifted farther further away from God's love and true definition of what womanhood was to a point where they pushed them right to the edge and over many years, the Jewish men started the, 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 the day with a prayer, expressing that thanking God that they were neither Gentile, slave, nor woman. Common prayer they would do. So already this, this person, as she starts a conversation, she's already starting back, like 10 steps back. She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. The Jewish men never talked to, uh, to, to, to the women. Leave alone a Samaritan woman. And that's why she begins by saying, how is it you, a Jewish man, is talking to me, a Samaritan woman? She could not comprehend what was happening right there. So the first thing we see is the first roadblock. The second one we see is that she has a broken past. In the conversation, the conversation begins about water and goes on. And Christ finally, in verse 17, brings to light the true state of her heart. When he asks her, go call your husband. And she answers this, I do not have one. And Christ says, you have answered correctly. But we see that in this culture, could you believe the pain this woman and shame should have gone with, having been married or married and divorced five times? It's hard in our country, in our culture, and we are modern. Could you imagine it in this culture and this time? For a woman who has been married five times, she's a woman who's struggling with shame and brokenness. Bible, the Bible tells us, I was reading about it, says the scholars tell us that the well was a gathering place for women. 
on the town. This is where they would share the latest news, uh, you know, latest gossip, whatever it may be. They just share ideas or whatever. This was a, it was not just a well for water. It was a social point. And yet we see this woman in her brokenness and in her shame in the Middle East goes to the well at noontime, in the hottest time of the day. But the worldly standards, when we look at this woman, she has no qualification to be an ambassador. Broken past, struggling with shame, rejected, pushed the fringes. Does that sound like people here today? Does that sound like you and I today? How many of us, and myself included, struggle with being like pushed to the end, feeling like we don't fit in, broken past of shame of things we've done or could have done, I've done different. We're just those people. This woman is a true representation of you and I in our life today. But then something changes. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. He comes when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, life-changing word. Then Jesus Christ told her, I am the Messiah. Then just as the disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But no one had the nerve to ask him, what would you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village to tell everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. What was this woman's greatest need at the beginning of the conversation? Water, right? That's the one, that was her greatest need. But what does Christ do? He reveals to her her greatest need is not water, it's eternal life. And when she realizes that, first thing, first thing, a love for the king and the kingdom transform lives. This woman leaves that which she felt mattered most. She runs back to a village, a village where she had a broken past, where everyone knew her. A village where she was ostracized and had to go to the well alone. And this is what she goes. She goes and says this in verse 29. Come and see a man who told me everything I could ever do, I'd ever did. So the people streamed from the village to come and see him. We're going to jump over to the end in verse 39 and see how this ends. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their villages. So he, he stayed for two more days. Verse 41, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves, and we know that he's indeed the savior of the world. A woman with a broken past, a woman who's a Samaritan, from a conversation in the well, her love for her king, this new king she's found, her love for his kingdom and all he represents, the fact that she goes to her village, the place of brokenness, hurt and pain, and stands before people and tells them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And an entire Samaritan village that was so far pushed out receives the good news. And long before Christ has died and risen again, we have our first evangelist, and she's a Samaritan woman. If she can be an ambassador for Christ, what stops you and I? And today by asking you a question, how does your Monday change? This is what I believe. That I believe that every time we sit under God's word, the, God's word is powerful. And needs to, we, there needs to be a change in our lives. 
If you hear a sermon every Sunday and Sunday and say, that was great, that was good, I loved it, good. Your life needs to reflect the truth of the message of the gospel. And so how does your Monday change as as, as Peno Baptist? There are individuals here who may be struggling like this woman, feeling right on the fringes, struggling with a broken past, shame, ostracized from family, from community. There are individuals here who know God has given you a, a platform as an ambassador in your business, at your school. Every one of us has a platform here. What will make this church different? is that if people are willing to take a risk for the gospel. If people are willing to take a risk, because our transformed life must reflect the truth of the gospel. The man I talked about in our Alpha course, he took a risk to call his daughters and apologize. And that was a really bold move for him after many years. He took a risk to ask his company to transfer him to Melbourne, So he could be near his daughters. He didn't know how it was going to work out. But he had faith that God who saved him and rescued him was able to see this through. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything? And so I ask and I charge you as Penobabs. How is the Monday for this church going to change? Will it be different? God has opened an amazing opportunity for you. Whether it's with Eastwood or whatever it may be. What you have here, very few people have. One of my roles is visiting different churches. I've been to churches with five people in service, all in their 80s. And I step out the door and the entire community is full of young people walking about. And I've, I've always shared in our, in, our, in our area that for churches that God has blessed, do not forget that there are others out there who need help. They do. And it's amazing how a little church like Elwood, nine people in an English congregation, maybe 15 in the Greek congregation, the youngest being 72, that out of that little shell, that God in the last 18 months has brought in families to a point where this little church has now seven people who have gone through internship and has a church plant resident. That is God at work. It's not any skill or any man, it's God at work with such limited resources. Imagine what could happen if this congregation stepped out in faith and said, we are going to take a risk for God. It may involve we're going to send our people to plant a church. It may be we're going to support ministry somewhere, wherever it may be. I tell you the truth. No one has ever put their trust in God has ever been put to shame. That is true. Not only for our lives, but even for the kingdom. And so I want to ask you, As you go home today, how will your Monday change? How will your Monday change? What will be different about your life this week? Is it when you go to work? Is it going to be different how you live your life? That gospel conversation you need to have with that good friend of yours, is that going to happen? The time you've been saying, I really need to step out and be part of what God is doing, whether it's at Eastwood or wherever it may be, is it going to happen? Love for the king a love for his kingdom, and transform lives, being ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray together. Everlasting Father, we thank you for your love and grace.